You know, as we're continuing on in this sermon series called A Love That Changes Everything, and I think it's an important series. You know, if God's love doesn't change anything in your life, it should be a red flag saying something's wrong, right? He rose on Easter. We got all excited about it. We got all geeked up about it. It was awesome. A lot of people here were here. But if that doesn't make a difference in our day-to-day life, then what was it for? Again, if, if Jesus' love doesn't change anything, then we're missing something that I think is pretty profound and, and pretty big. And so we're doing this series on a bunch of different things. And today, I want to take a look at simply this. Can I really overcome all the struggles that I'm struggling with? Because it seems at least in that, Jesus could make a difference, that he would have power to help us go overcome, that he would help us to get to the other side of at least that, right? So I'll just ask you, we're kind of talking then about temptation today and how to overcome it. Any of you guys ever struggle with temptation? Anybody ever do that at all? Okay, we've got a few honest people here. I always think temptation, I think of the, the cookies, the chocolate chip cookies that are cooling in the kitchen on the counter. I think back to when I was a kid, mom's outside, she says, don't have any of the cookies, but they're there, and man, they're cooling, and you can smell them, and they're just there, and she's outside, and they're there, and I know if I don't leave the kitchen, I'm done. The temptation can sometimes be overwhelming. Ask yourself, though, what is it that you continually are tempted with as you walk through life? It's not always as easy as cookies, is it? Sometimes there's, there's, there's stuff like this, like gluttony and, and lust and, and anger and, and frustration. Sometimes it's, it's fear and anxiety and worry. All the way through our lives, we're, we're complicated. Our lives are complicated because of temptation. And often, as a result of giving into that temptation, we find that there's all sorts of consequences that make our life even harder, even more difficult to overcome. There's some that have been with us now for 10, 20 years. They're almost like friends, but they're not friends. They're mean because the consequences are brutal. And so how do you overcome those kind of things as you walk through life? I had a buddy, I have a buddy, and he gave me permission to use a portion of this letter that he received this last week. He's also a pastor in Illinois. It read this way. Dear pastor, I need some help. I totally can relate to that. Every morning I start out with the best of intentions to change my ways, and I think Today is going to be different, but it never is. Somehow, someway, I always fall back into my same old ways of relating to people and my old bad habits. Sometimes I feel like there's a tug of war going on inside of me. I really want to do what's best, but I always end up disappointing myself and God. I've tried everything. Prayer, resolutions, self-help tapes, even hypnosis. Nothing seems to be working. Why do I keep on making the same mistakes? Why am I so resistant to change? Why do I do things that I know are bad for me? I'm so very discouraged, and I need help getting unstuck. Is that read that? Anybody relate to that at all? Man, I can at different points in my life, right? There's just stuff that's been hard to overcome. There's stuff that's complicating your life. There's stuff that you keep falling into again and again and again. I think we get it when Paul says like stuff like this in Romans 7 where he says, I don't understand myself at all. I really want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very things that I hate. I think that we get that because we come to church on Sunday, right? And we, we love Jesus. We love our Lord. He's awesome. He's our God. He's done so many amazing things for us already as we walk through life. 
We hear sermons. We, we know where he wants us to go, the right from the wrong. We get that he wants us to be like him. We get that he wants us to follow him. We get that he wants us to trust him. It's just so hard. And we find ourselves stumbling and falling and giving in to these things again and again. And, and this morning, I, I don't want to just talk about, you know, some of the, the little temptations that come your way from, from time to time in life. We'll, we'll also address those today as well. But I want to talk about those stubborn, persistent, lifelong temptations that keep dragging you down. Those ones that have been with you the 10, the 20 years that are still hanging on. And you've tried to change them. Over and over you've tried to change them, but they just, they just keep coming back. And so how do you change that? How do you overcome those kind of temptations in our life? Because they are complicating our lives right now. And Scripture, in its amazing ways, gives us answers to stuff. And, and I'm going to give you four things to think about this morning, four steps, if you will, but just four things from Scripture that, that can help us overcome some of these long-lasting, some of these things that are really hard to, to overcome in our life. And as you go to Scripture, one of the first things that God gives us to think about this morning is this. He says we need to start protecting the condition of our hearts. The Bible actually says this in Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Think garbage in, garbage out, right? If your heart starts getting affected, what happens? It affects everything in your life. I, my last church, that we had this head trustee, awesome. I mean, he did stuff, and it would just go according to plan. He had people going and doing all sorts of things. Head trustees are people that help out with the church. If you're interested in that, please see Spahala afterwards. We're always looking for pity people, anybody. You know, but anyway, so anyway. But he was awesome. He did all these amazing things. But he got in the crosshairs with one of the secretaries at the church, and it started to affect his heart. And he found himself getting more negative and more angry and more bitter. It started affecting his worship. He couldn't hear any more Jesus' love for him, his care for him, because he would just get so angry every time he walked through the doors of the church. But he kept serving as the trustee, right? Because, I mean, that's what you do. So you keep, you know, fix anything. You just keep getting angrier and angrier. And so at one point, though, he got to a place where he just had had an argument with the secretary. And I, I just went and I talked with him. And I said, hey, and you are awesome. And, and, and I know you love the Lord. And, and, and the, what you do for this church is incredible. I said, something's... Something's got a hold of this, and it's not good. I, I, I notice the negativity. I, I can see the anger. I can see the frustration. And that's not like you. I said, we need to figure out something where we can, we can heal this. Because I'd much rather you come to church and worship God. I'd much rather you come and hear help for your life, forgiveness for your sins, all those different things. You need to be good with Jesus. But if this is getting in the way, then either we need to have you do something else, or you need to step back, or, or we need to have some big reconciliation time, you know? And, and he said, you know, he goes, I've been feeling that, but I hadn't known what to do to get rid of it. I felt like if I quit, I'd be giving up on God. I felt like if, if I addressed it, it would just get worse. He says, thank you so much. And I gave him permission to step back for a little bit. And it healed his heart and it renewed his energy for God. And he got involved in some other stuff and he just went nuts. It was awesome. But whenever this gets affected, it can slow down things. It can complicate things. It can frustrate things. And the number one thing it does all that to is a relationship with God. Above all else, it says, guard your heart for it affects everything that you do. And so if you want to make a life-lasting change, it starts from the inside out. So you can't focus just on your behavior and you can't focus just on willpower. To be honest, if we could do it by willpower, we'd all be different people already, right? 
You can't just focus on your emotions. Emotions lie, they confuse, they complicate at times. You focus on the inside. You focus on where all this begins in your heart. Notice what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.27. It says this, Do not give the devil a foothold. You know, what is a foothold? You know, picture of that is thinking about this head trustee, right? Something had got a foothold in his heart. But what exactly is that? It's when the devil carves out a little space in your life that he can hang on to. And he hangs on to this space, right, so that he can grab more and more of your life, more and more of your heart, so that he can control your life and ultimately so that he can destroy your life. It's like soldiers on the battlefield, right, or in war taking over an island. They first establish a beachhead. You know, think about this being the beachhead. Because once they get the beachhead, they got someplace to stand, right? And then they can start pushing and pushing until pretty soon they own all of this. And they keep pushing and pushing because they got guys coming in from the ocean everywhere. But they got a place to land now that's safe. And they can keep pushing until they've taken over the sanctuary and over and over. But they need that beachhead. Or they can never make any real movement on the island. See, Satan wants to do the same thing in our lives, right? He, he wants to establish a beachhead in our hearts because if he can get something to hold on to, then he can keep pushing and pushing and pushing until he's controlled us and ultimately until he's destroyed us. So you start asking yourself, what is one of the number one things that Satan tries to get a hold of? What's one of the number one footholds that he can get in our life? And the answer for that, as you can see that in the example that I gave you about that trustee, it's any negative emotion. Let me give you some, some samples of that. When you're physically exhausted, when you're discouraged, when you're bored, when you're spiritually dry, when you're insecure, when you're deeply wounded, when you're secretly bitter, when you're sad, when you're alienated, y'all are going, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, those are the things that he grabs hold of. It's easier to grab hold of those. And those are the things that can allow the devil to get a foothold in your life. And when you allow two or three or more of those emotions to gang up together, let's say you're frustrated and worried and depressed, altogether that's a powerful combination for Satan to begin motivating you and doing, and doing things to you so that you're vulnerable to a major temptation. Let me give you an example of that. Let's say you're worried and insecure and angry and hurt. Well, the devil's going to come along and he's going to start saying stuff like this. I want you to listen to some of the commonalities. He'll say stuff like this. You deserve a little pleasure in your life. You deserve a little comfort in your life. Notice the word deserve. Then he'll say stuff like this. I know it isn't right. Even cop to the truth. Satan's pretty good at this. It's a half truth. I know it isn't right, but here comes the rationalization. There are so many bad things happening in your life right now that you need something for comfort, for relief, that you need, hear that word need, something for excitement, that you need something to calm you down because everything's bad in your life, rationalization right now, you really need just a little bit of good pleasure. Whenever you start going over and over what you deserve, what you need, you can become very vulnerable to rationalizations, to sin, to giving in to the temptations in your life. And Satan doesn't tell you stuff like this, that if you go ahead and give in to this temptation, that if you go ahead and go into this sin, that if you reject God and all those different things, it's going to make things worse in the long run, that you're going to have complications. And we know that objectively because we do it and we face the complications, but, you know, over here, it seems so neat. He's not telling us, he's not reminding us of what happened the last time. We're just focused here. We get in this cycle of need and what we deserve 
So you have to know the condition of your heart so that you can guard your heart like the Bible says. If you allow these emotions to dam up in your life, though, you can end up doing some pretty crazy things. When you start focusing on what I deserve and what I need, it's so easy to rationalize some stuff that causes us to do some pretty goofy things as we go through life. Those are the things that tend to complicate. Scripture goes on, though, and gives us another thing as well. So it's not just protecting this. It's, it's also praying for God's help. And you say, Pastor, I've tried praying for God's help. I just I don't always see it. I would say maybe you're not looking as hard as you need to, but the reality is simply this. Prayer is not the only thing you need to do to overcome temptation in your life, but it is something that you must do, right? Because it's the only thing that will give you the strength to do the other things that we're talking about today, including protecting the condition of your heart. We even say in the Lord's Prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation. Why do you think we say that? Because we need that protection from the evil one. And so he's saying, if you don't pray, God is very clear on this, if you don't pray, you'll have no strength, you'll have no protection against temptation in your life. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 41, he says, keep alert and pray, otherwise temptation will overpower you. It's inevitable. You know, I always think back to the lesson we read that Peter, you know, he's, he's with Jesus, he confesses Jesus as Lord, and he loves, he loves Jesus. There's no way he loves Jesus more but he just simply wasn't prepared for the next day, right? He wasn't prepared for the thought that he could be in jail. He wasn't prepared for people accosting him. He wasn't prepared for Jesus even to be in that situation to begin with. He just wasn't ready. Jesus had told him to pray, but he was sleepy, you know? I mean, just, he wasn't ready. And I think that happens to us lots of times in life. We're just not ready. So we've got to make prayer more a part of our life, a regular part of our life. I know you don't always have time during a, a temptation to sit down and pray like a half-hour prayer, God help me, you know, and going into all this stuff. But you can pray a very spiritual prayer like this, God help, right? It's a very spiritual prayer. It's something that we absolutely need to learn to start doing. Help. I'm here in the midst of this temptation, right? I've given into it a hundred times already. I, I'm here again, and I, I have this voice telling me to stop, to go the other direction, to not experience all the consequences I have before, but I need your strength. I need your help to kind of root myself out of there so I can go do something different. Think about yourself in the kitchen. I need the strength to leave the kitchen because if I stay here, I'm dead, right? I'm going to have that cookie. It smells too good. I know some of you, even as I talk about that, can almost smell the cookie. It's just good, right? But just, so if you don't leave the kitchen, you're toast, you pray so God gives you the strength to make the move, to, to have the strength to resist, to flee. In Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, Call to me when trouble comes, and I will save you. So he's saying, send up a, a, a mayday, an SOS, and I'll come there, and I'll be with there, you, and I will help you. The Bible is filled with examples of this, people who call on God when they're in trouble, and he's right there to help. People like David and Daniel and Peter and Paul, all the way throughout the Bible, God provides help for people who ask. So how do we know that he'll do that for us? How do we know that we can expect God to help us when we're in trouble? And that's where your trust comes in, right? Because God says, I'm a God who cares about the most intimate details in your life. That he's sympathetic to the struggles that you're going through, to the temptations that you're facing in life right now. The Bible even tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same temptations that we do, yet he never sinned. And then the author goes on to say this, so let us come boldly to our gracious God because he gets it. There he will receive his mercy 
and his grace to help us when we need it. In other words, he says, pray, and I'll show up. Or, or maybe a better way to put it, since God's with us all the time, pray, and I'll reveal myself to you, and I'll give you my power so that you can overcome. But pray. He goes on to a third point, and this is kind of the strategy piece of this. When you're tempted, one of the biggest strategy pieces that you can do is, is turn or point your attention in a different direction. Think the kitchen. You're smelling the cookies. I mean, they're right out of the oven. Mom's outside. You can smell the cookies. You, you can't even tell that you're moving toward them, right? But you're going. The only way you can fix that is by, by fleeing the situation, by changing your perspective, your point of view, your, your direction of your eyes, and leaving the kitchen. In James 1, it says, temptation is the pull, right? Think about gravitating toward the cookies, of your own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions. So the Bible says that temptation always starts with a thought. It doesn't start with an action. It doesn't even start with an emotion. It starts with a thought. And so the battle begins in your mind. It begins in your brain. And if you're going to overcome temptation, then you've got to learn to change your thoughts to refocus, to point your attention in a different direction because whatever gets your attention gets you. You ever been to the Grand Canyon or I, I've been in the Arch over St. Louis or anyway, someplace high, right? And, and, you, and you're brave enough for whatever reason, you get right to the edge and you're looking over because you know you're tough, whatever, right? And you're just curious or whatever. You're looking over, but then you start looking over and you just kind of feel like you're gravitating toward whatever you're looking at. That's not some phenomena. It's just the way our brain works. We gravitate toward that that has our focus, you remember that the marshmallow uh, uh, video that Mike shows every once in a while? Um, and the kids are, you know, don't have the marshmallow. If you, if you don't have the marshmallow, I'll give you two later, you know. The kids are just looking at it the whole time. It's hard not to have the marshmallow. It's hard to look at the thing that is tempting you and have the willpower, sheer willpower, to overcome. So God says you've got to change your focus. Temptation always follows a predictable process. It always goes through three stages. And the first one is always attention. Something has to get your attention before it can tempt you. It's either got to come in the form of a thought or something that you see. But if you think it, if you see it, it's got gotcha. you. The second thing is arousal. Arousal is when your emotions kick in and they start saying things like this. I like that. That would be comforting. That would be release. That would be exciting. That would make me feel better about me. That would make me stop thinking about how bad my life is. And your emotions get involved. Now, for things like this, I was talking to a lady the other day about gluttony. And the thing that makes gluttony such a hard thing is they will look at food not as this thing that sustains them and fuels them, but something that gives them comfort, right? So when you are feeling bad, right, you say, this will make me feel better, and you gravitate toward whatever that is. It could be gluttony, it could be going shopping, hey, you know. Then you have problems with materialism and, and, and money and stuff like that. But it's this idea that I'm going to have X give me something that only God can give me, right? That comfort, that peace, that strength. And we go to other things and we give into the temptation. Gluttony is bad because it's this inability to stop eating, right? Spending money is bad because it's the inability to stop spending money. It's, it's things to the excess, and whatever the temptation is, there's that time, there's that moment where you think, if I just give in to this temptation X, whatever it is, then I'll feel better. But the moment you eat the, the cake or the moment that you, you buy whatever or the moment that you, you, you turn on the computer or whatever, the moment that's over, you're right back over here thinking, why did I do that? Now there's consequences. Now there's stuff that's going on that I didn't have. Now I feel the guilt. Now I'm right back to where I was at the beginning. 
Then the third is action, right? It's when you give into it. It's when you go. It's I'm going to do something about it. You act on it. And the wrong thing to do in the moment if you're trying to overcome the temptation is to focus by sheer willpower and say, I'm not going to do that anymore because you can't do it. It hasn't worked. If you could, you'd be already different because that's not the root problem. You've got to go behind the emotion, back to the attention. You've got to start asking yourself, what was I thinking when I gave in? In fact, if you really want to get serious, you start looking at what time of day is it that I'm falling into this temptation? Who's with me at the time that I'm falling into the temptation? What am I thinking about? You know, what has just happened? Are there some commonalities that when I always give in? And if it's always at night in your office or whatever it is, then don't go into your office at night, right? Go someplace else. If you can learn enough about what it is that's causing you to struggle, tempt you, give, where you're giving into that, Change up the dynamics. But how do you do that? The reality is that you cannot always control the circumstances of your life, but you can control the way you think. And if you can do that, you can control your emotions, and that will control your behavior. I know it sounds simplistic, but there's power in what I just said. In other words, when temptation comes, you don't try to fight against it, right? Because whatever gets your attention gets you. You flee from it. One day Jesus had been out in the wilderness and he had been praying and fasting for many days and he was hungry. And on the last day, the devil comes to him and says, you know, why don't you turn these stones into bread and eat them? What this was was a temptation for Jesus to use his, his, his godly powers for some selfish means. And it doesn't say that Jesus resisted the temptation. He didn't say, well, I'm not really that hungry. It's only been 40 days, you know, like 45. You know, he didn't say that, no. He said, Satan, I'm not going to do that. Get out of here. He quoted scripture, again, changing his focus. Man does not live by bread alone. And I'm not going to use my godly powers for selfish reasons. He didn't resist temptation. He resisted, resisted the tempter. He resisted Satan. Why is that so important? Because as long as the devil has your attention, he's got you. The way to weaken temptation in your life is not to fight it, but to ignore it, to turn your back on it, to think about something else Paul says this, don't let, the evil, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. In other words, turn your thoughts from the wrong thing to the right thing, from the bad thing to the good thing, from the lie to the truth, from the temptation to something wonderful, positive, or beneficial. You fight it by doing the right thing. <laughs> when I was first in ministry, a lady came to me and she said, just a sweet lady, and she said, I'm, I'm struggling with road rage, and it was just a, a I didn't get that, you know, it was a really sweet, road rage, really? She goes, yeah, every day on the way to work, I'm just struggling, I mean, it's just this one bad intersection, and people are cutting me off, and they're, you know, they're riding my bumper, and they're, they're not going when they're supposed to, and then they're doing all this crazy kind of, they're turning, and like, lanes are not supposed to turn, and she, everybody's breaking the rules in this one intersection, right, so it's frustrating her, and she's just going, ah, so she gets, so she's like tailing people, and she's like, I'm gonna get in trouble, somebody's gonna stop, you know, you know, is it, you know? so she's freaking out, and I said, well, have you tried going a different way to work? And she said, no. And then she, the next day, she, she did, and then the whole week, I guess, and she came back the next Sunday, she says, you're a genius. <laughs> I said, yeah, I don't hear that a lot, but thank you, you know, you know, whatever. So, but the reality is that she just cut that out, that way to work out, and it changed everything. We've got to learn to outsmart Satan in some of these things, right? We've, we've got to learn to change the dynamics, to change the point of view, to change the perspective so that we can overcome the stuff that keeps stumbling, tripping us up. We need to learn to overcome evil with goodness, the principle of replacement. Fill your mind with truth and good thoughts and the bad stuff and the lies doesn't have any time to get in. 
goes on and gives us this last piece, and it's this. We need to learn to receive his strength, God's strength. It says this in the Bible. It says, God has chosen to give us birth through the word of truth. This is probably the most important key I'll give you today in breaking a bad habit or overcoming temptation. You know, I used to not like the term being born again. I guess it reminded me of reincarnation or something like that. I just thought it was weird. Why did people keep saying that? But the reality is it doesn't mean that at all. It simply means that we get a fresh start on life. You ever play kickball and somebody yells, do over? I love those, especially if I was the one that got out, right? It's like God takes a big blackboard behind me and he writes all the sins that I've ever done. Things even to this day where I get tripped up and I'll go back into guilty moments and things that I regret doing, people hurt that I've caught. It's just all up there. It's horrible. It's a mess. And then he comes along with this big eraser and he goes like this. And he wipes it all clean. And he's got water on it so you can't even see through to the old stuff, right? I mean, remember being a kid and how that made a difference, right? Whatever. And it's just gone. There's no evidence of the sin that you committed. God says you get to start over. It's an amazing thing. All the stuff that you felt guilty for is now no more. And then I come to him and I say, God, thank you. You've taken the good, the bad, the ugly in my life, and you've given me a do-over. I get a new start, a new life. I get to be reborn. So it doesn't mean you go back to be a baby again, right? It just means you get a new start on life. And if you could just get rid of the guilt in your life, I'm telling you, it makes a difference for the future, If you're no longer manipulated by the past, if you're no longer harboring the past, anger of the past, guilt from the past, it can change your life forever moving forward. I I constantly tell people in counseling, (laughs) if you just make different decisions moving forward, your life gets better. Does that make sense? We get in this pattern where we keep doing the same things over and over, hoping for different results, but if we just make more Godly decisions, just different decisions moving forward. It can change so much. You're never stuck where you are. And so he's saying you need to be reborn. Why? Because you need God's power in your life. Once in a while, somebody will come to our church, and not not necessarily familiar with church, but will come in and they'll say stuff like, you know, Pastor, enjoy your talks, man. They're they're filled with application. They're just neat. But why do you you always talk about Jesus? Which, you know, it's a a legitimate question if you're not a church goer, if you don't know much about it, right? And it's just funny when they say that, but it's happened like three times now. But anyway, and they'll say stuff like that. And I'll say, you know, I, I talk about Jesus because if I don't give you Jesus, I, I don't give you any power to change anything in your life, right? If I don't give you Jesus, there's no strength and there's no power and there's no forgiveness to overcome anything in your life. See, he's the one that makes the difference. We've tried it our way, right, with the, just the willpower thing. I mean, even this one guy, hypnosis, right? We'll try anything, self-help tapes. If we could change it by ourselves, it would be done. And there are little things that we've overcome, right? But we need God on our side to give us that new perspective, to give us that window of the Spirit saying, run from this, flee from this now before you give in. We need him actively working with us and on us to give us the strength, the freedom to overcome I don't know why it is that you came this morning, you know, but I'm glad you're here. There's going to be a bunch of people at the next service who are going to be here um, for the preschool program. But, but the reality is I don't care what brought you here this morning. The reality is that God brings you here. He brought you here today to say that you matter to him, that he cares about what you're going through in your life right now, that he sees your struggle, and he just says, I want to help. Let me help. I, I want a relationship with you. I want to become more real with you. Trust me. 
I have the power to fix it. I have the power to help you overcome. I have the power to help you endure as you go through. Trust me. And the doors of heaven will be open to you. My prayer this morning is as we contemplate and think through all this stuff is that you let him do that very thing today. That you trust him for more. That you'd rely on him for more. That you'd come to him for more as you go through life. And watch the difference that it makes. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.